What's up, Accelerators? Welcome to Normalize It, the show where we speak about and explore the business of disability inclusion and accessibility. I'm your host, Cam Baudouin, and on each episode, I'll be interviewing leaders, professionals, and people with lived experiences, and we'll be discussing the challenges, successes, and strategies on how to make this world a more inclusive place. As you know, many organizations are still trying to figure out disability inclusion through a trial and error method. That's inefficient. Stick around to the end of the show to find out how we can fix that. So whether you're an advocate, entrepreneur, business owner, stakeholder, VP, or just someone who's interested in the world of disability inclusion, this show is for you. Let's dive into it. Let's talk about Disability Pride Month just finishing up because you told me just before the show started, you were even talking or you were speaking at an event that just happened to be in the month of July. And the audience reception maybe was, we didn't even know there was Disability Pride Month that, that happened. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that? And let's, let's start off this discussion. Disability Pride Month is July. A lot of us from the disability community stayed quiet for the beginning of July just to see who was going to acknowledge that it was Disability Pride Month besides us. And it was about 10, 15 days into it. And then finally, we're like, okay, we give up. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about it. Plus, it was a big one. Our flag changed. Besides that, no one was going to talk about it. Our flag changed to make it more accessible. Mm-hmm. And for me specifically, that was a big deal because it was more accessible for me as someone that is that has migraines and aura migraines. That flag change is a big deal for me. It was disappointing to see how it was not being acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And the way I talked about it is like the Disability Pride Month is not even at a point of being performative. Right. Like Pride Month is at a point of being rainbow washed. Right. Yep. We're not even at a point of being performative. So most companies didn't even know about it. In June, there were companies that contact me to be a speaker for disability and they didn't even know that July was disability pride month to be a speaker being given less than a month to organize something specific for a company that's pretty short notice yeah yeah of course I was a speaker for July but this was something that was pre-recorded and it just so happened to fall in the month of July. And it raised awareness for Disability Pride Month, but it just so happened to fall in the month of July. And the organizer did an amazing job spearheading it, taking it, and just raising more awareness about it for the rest of the month after learning that it's Disability Pride Month. Mm-hmm. This is to say it was disappointing. One word that I really liked about that was that word performative, right? Mm-hmm. And so absolutely, when I think of Pride Month, I think of absolutely like all the logos and the organizations that I follow, they all become rainbow. And it is so out there. And it, what, what I really appreciate about that is that it just does raise awareness like, oh, this company cares, right? Uh, all I was wondering is like that whole word about uh, performative uh, is is so impactful, I think, in the way that we talk about this, because you're absolutely right. Pride Month is everywhere. Companies put rainbow on their logos, and all of a sudden, they care, right? And we didn't see that at all. So, I mean, what does it mean to be a performative kind of movement? I think performative is like big companies take it on. 
like you know it's performative <laughs> when big companies start taking it on like for example if a big company took our disability pride month and started putting it on random stuff right yes absolutely right and put it on random stuff that's not even about disability absolutely and yeah. started selling it and making profits while they're the ones that are actually mistreating their disabled employees. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are contributing to our community not being employed. That's the performative piece of it. So on surface, they look like they're allies, right? but in reality, they're actually benefiting from keeping our community down. They're literally using our logos to gain more money, mm -hmm. but in reality, they're not employing the people from that community, not supporting the people from that community, not lifting up the people from that community. Yeah. See, what I've always thought of is that you're bringing up a great point. And does anyone remember, and I think it was for women's equality, it was the day for women's equality. And there was a someone, a programmer out there who on Twitter put uh, wrote up like equality bot or something like that. And then what happened was that any company who said like, you know, we, we believe in, in equality for, for women in positions of leadership or positions of power. And then what they did is they just, the, the bot would go and find them and say, well, actually you're the pay difference between men and women is like 30% difference, right? It was my favorite. I love oh, that Oh, I know, I know, right? Yes, exactly, right? And so when there's this gap, you're like, okay, is it like, what is the root? Is it, are we actually trying to create change or are we just doing it because this is all we're supposed to do? And it's interesting because a lot of people didn't even know that um, Disability Pride Month has been around since 1990. See, uh, I didn't even know that either. I didn't know. You just taught me something. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's been around. And the reason it's cele celebrated in July is because that's when ADA was signed. Right. Um, ADA was signed end of July. I believe the 26th, if I'm correct, which is why um, it's celebrated in July. So it's been around as long as ADA has been around. This kind of lends itself really well to a lot of the conversation that I seem to be having these days in the world of, you know, how does how does this all matter and relate to DEI? And I was just responding to a comment this morning about what is our criteria to being even a consultant in the world of accessibility or disability inclusion? What does that actually mean? Because if we're not able to have some kind of framework or criteria, I don't know, Lucic, if you've ever been asked to do something like, I want to list out all the things that I've consulted with for accessibility because just because I had that in my job title, right? I've helped out with development, QA, mm -hmm. content, design, shareholder meetings, stakeholder review. I've also done things like procurement and hiring. You know, like there's so much stuff that we're asked to do. I don't know, Lucic, what else have you kind of uh, had to work with or been asked to do even just from in your job or in what you do? I'm of the belief that DI folks need to tell the companies, this is my specialty. Mm -hmm. Like recently... A company approached me and they're like, all of these things, we need all of these things. Right, right. And I was like, I don't do board stuff. 
that's too many things that's like you're asking too many things and too confused i don't do both board staff employee uh, development that's too much going on right right maybe you're looking for two different consultants yes. mm -hmm. there's questions i know the answers to but i would advise you to look for someone else for the board stuff so within the disability world i know i know my strength is job accommodations yes like if you need someone to talk about job accommodations i'm your person and within it within the disability community all of us do different things mm -hmm. so if you approach me for website accessibility i have like i will look at your website i will tell you things that are wrong about it but i'm not the person that's going to be able to fix it right but guess what I have amazing network of people that I can refer you to. Yet, I am the person that's going to tell you why you don't have um, that many disabled folks that feel comfortable coming forward. Right, right. Uh, or why people that are, have disabilities have continuously left your job. Mm -hmm. Why your job application is not accessible or why the language of it is not ADA compliant right. yep. or so yep. forth. I think the important thing is for DEI consultants themselves to know their strengths mm -hmm. and not have the company tell them what they want. Like the company is going to have their needs, but within it, you as a DEI consultant tell them, this is what I can do for you. This I can't do. And I have a network of friends. Yep. These folks that I know can do a good job for you. Yep. Let me yep. refer you. Yeah. I like to talk about that word precedent, right? Because you do set a precedent if you think that you can do it all, right? I'm a developer and I know accessibility really well. And somebody comes, taps me on the shoulder and said, hey, do you do built environments? And then you say, I would love to learn about that, right? Yes, I can do that. And then you go and you study all night and you go and you start to do that. And I've had a few guests on my show now and we talk about burnout and we talk about advocacy and we talk about all this stuff. Um, when you set the precedent to yourself that you're able and open to do everything under the sun, that's a recipe for burnout. Because if they ask you once, someone's going to ask you again and again and again. And it's the same thing for, hey, can you go and uh, uh, go help out with procurement? We need this. Have you ever had to read a policy document at an organization? I know I have. <laughs> and if I'm not an expert at reading policy documents, I'm spending hours reading policy documents because they're complex and they're convoluted and they've been through many iterations. And we have this idea that we need to help, help, help everybody and that we need to be the ones to solve solve the problem for accessibility because we're champions. Then all of a sudden, you know, we're feeling that idea of burnout and stress and things like that because we've just said yes, yes, yes to everything. So yes, I love what you just said about having two roles because maybe we maybe you do need another role. Maybe you do need to go and look at other organizations or companies that can help us out with this specific question around, you know, the size of ramps on these stairs that we're re, uh, re retrofitting. It's not your your QA consultant for accessibility who's going to help you out retrofit your building. So that's, uh, mm -hmm. uh, I, I love that. 
with that, by the way, I am the policy person. That's my thing. I will, I will gladly read them. But what comes to mind is another issue that's within the DEI world that's, so there's a DEI world and within it, there are the specialties, right? Right. We have the world of disability rights, right? Mm -hmm. Another problem that I've discovered as someone that not only does disability rights, but does intersectional like work. So I do race, gender, immigration, and disability rights. So I've been pinged not just for um, disability rights work, but for other stuff. So something I noticed is that for disability rights work or accessibility or anything that has to do with disability, companies will expect to pay you significantly less than they will for any other DEI work. Right. And DEI is diversity, equity, inclusion. So I did a little survey asking folks to put in their experiences of how much they've been paid in the past for um, disability work, accessibility work, uh, speaker, or as doing any type of work in it, just trying to kind of gather some work, like some type of data. I'm hoping to actually get to expand this. Mm -hmm. I would love to actually do like really meaningful data capturing and be able to share this data out to get our community to raise their prices. Absolutely. Because that's the only way we're going to stop this because this is pay disparity because the way it is, is the folks that are doing disability work more than likely are disabled folks. Yes. So the way it turns out is able folks are paying disabled folks much less than they pay other DEI practitioners Mm -hmm. to educate them. And 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 then they, they expect that one person with a disability to know everything about every disability as well, because they categorize them as a person with a disability. And that is so wrong. And I want to say, can people still reach out to you and, and add data to your, uh, your information? I think that would be so great if anyone listening. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, we, we have to elevate our industry from being here to, you know, I, I earn less than an average developer because I'm an accessibility QA person consulting on everything in the organization to up here where I'm paid what I deserve and what the industry standard is. So Lusik. Yes, please. Absolutely. Um, another level to that that makes it even worse is that intersectionality comes in even more. Absolutely. So this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that disability community, most of the speakers, if we've noticed, tend to be white. Mm-hmm. The same way DEI community itself, most of the speakers that get hired by companies tend to be white. Right. Or paid most tend to be white. This was something that came to light when Robin DeAngelo's 
speaking pay came like there was an article that came out i don't know if anyone would remember in 2020 um so robin d'angelo is the author of white privilege mm -hmm. um her book that was sold out everywhere in 2020 it came out that at a speaking event she was paid a couple thousand more than a black woman that was speaking at the same event. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she was selling a book that, I mean, the content of it, obviously she learned by going to communities of color, right? Because as a white woman, she had to learn about races from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. She was benefiting from selling her knowledge that she learned from communities of color and the black woman that more than likely experienced racism firsthand was getting paid significantly less. Right, right. This type of disparity that goes on between communities kind of carries through. Yeah. Um, and this is like intersectional when you add different identity because mm -hmm. we're not just disabled folks. We mm -hmm. have other identities to come in. It's not just race. It's your sexual identity. It's your age. Like we're not just one person. Right. There's so much more that comes into us. So we might be raised by a single parent. We might be coming from different financial backgrounds. Mm -hmm. We're never one type of person, right? So with that, it's important to keep in mind that within the disabled community, also the type of folks that get the paying, like higher paying jobs tend to be white folks. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at that, they're already disabled folks are barely already getting paid or getting those jobs. So now people of color, trans folks, people that are even more underrepresented, mm -hmm. that are more like intersectional, they're getting even less jobs. They're getting paid even less. They're getting even less of those opportunities. And as a woman who is disabled, who is an immigrant, who has an accent, mm -hmm who is a woman of color, when I switched to be a speaker for the disabled community, it's so much tougher. Mm -hmm. It's so much tougher. So it's important to kind of keep the layers in mind. Mm -hmm. I want to say that like, you know, this idea right now, like I'm feeling uncomfortable. And this idea of discomfort is something that a lot of people with disabilities feel every single day mm -hmm. and is the way that we need to move the industry forward. And we need to get comfortable speaking about discomfort. I parallel it with, you know, tightrope walking, right? It's all, you're always going to feel a little bit uncomfortable as you're walking a tightrope or climbing a mountain or doing these high, you know, intensity sports or something like that. You're always going to feel a little bit uncomfortable. And that's okay. We can live in this discomfort for a while and have conversations around it without being defensive, without being without feeling attacked, but also learning. And I think Lusik, you're doing a great job at doing it. Is you're also speaking about it without inciting or or attacking. You're just raising light and you're shining a light into the area that we are 
as a community, as a society, as a group, we don't often shine a light into. And so I applaud you for that, to be able to shine that in a way that's not that's not attacking. It's not a wrong way. You're not, you're not accusing anyone of anything right here, right now. You're just broadcasting that and showing it. Um, I can bring up the comments. Somebody here said, like, you can tell that not many people are able to be in that discomfort zone and sit in it. And you're right. And I think that, you know, this is a way of communicating. It's a way of being in that discomfort zone. It's different from saying, hey, you know, I realize that no one likes talking about this, but finding those safe spaces to talk about this, to bring it up in an, in an environment where you're employed maybe is difficult. But I promise you that there are people in every organization who are willing to talk about this. I think it's, I would push it back even more. I would say if we think of us as all of us as intersectional beings, mm -hmm. there is going to be one part of your identity that someone else found discomfort in. Mm -hmm. So just think of it that way. One part of your identity is someone somewhere and you can think of like, I'm sure there's a memory that comes to mind that someone somewhere questioned, mm -hmm. right? Someone somewhere questioned, someone somewhere said a negative comment about and you can remember whether it's coming from a single parent household whether it's coming from low-income household, whether it's not going to grad school or college. I think the issue is people think of identities only as race, gender, yeah. sexual orientation, disability status. They just think of it as the few main ones right mm -hmm, they don't mm -hmm. think that our identities there's so much that impacts who we are mm -hmm. so if you think of yourself as always as an intersectional being as the people in front of you as an intersectional being then you would understand that every single of one of us has been in that discomfort zone. Absolutely. Understand, we all have been in this comfort zone and we always will be in this comfort zone because we're all a unique being. All of our identities are unique mixture of our experiences. Mm -hmm. So that's completely fine. We are not meant to be the same exact people. And that's the beauty of this world. Right, right, exactly. I'm Canadian. I'm not aware of a lot of these, these laws in the US. But I wanted just to, to bring up here that uh, Diane has some quotes and she's been in the chat a lot talking about the minimum wage for people with disabilities can actually legally be less than people without disabilities. Yep. Sometimes, however, an employer may pay less than the minimum wage to a worker with a disability. This is only legal if the employer has a certificate from the Department of Labor. It says right there that with a permission, with permission, right? With permission from a government, from the government, you're allowed to pay someone less. It's not a good one. It's a reality though, at the moment. If we all come from different experiences, if we all come from different worlds and different lived experiences and shared experiences and all these types of things, then how we react to certain situations and how we react to certain initiatives is going to be a lot different. This is not about right or wrong. This is just about what is. And I'm going to put up on screen. I'm going to read it. And then Lucek, I want you to comment on it while I pull up the other comments from LinkedIn that kind of came up as well. It's very, very impactful. So up on screen now, I have a, com uh, a post, that you, a comment that you received on one of your posts recently. And the commenter is blacked out. And so we don't know who it is. Uh, but it says, but also, can we deal with the problems all Black people have? 
before disability advocacy is the new it issue because it's their term. Let's loan our intersection voices in what they've been working on for like ever. So there is no hierarchy in race and disability, but since it's usually one thing at a time, if that's the case, it's their turn to have the floor. This is a comment that you received on one of your posts. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I want to talk about this mm -hmm. because a lot of us were confused, heated up about this comment. The original post was talking about intersectionality, right. not forgetting that there is intersectionality in the disability world and beyond, right? Mm -hmm. And then this person said, can we deal with problems all Black people have before disability advocacy is the new it issue? There is a problem with the it issue and before um, and also referring to Black people's advocacy as an it issue because that's the implication. And also another big problem is thinking that Black, like within the disability community, Black people can't have disabilities because this person is assuming that a dis uh, Black person cannot have a disability. Right. There is no intersectionality within the disability community. So they're saying, like, we can't talk about disability issues because we need to only talk about the current it issue, which is the Black people's advocacy. Right. First of all, a lot of problems with that wording, completely forgetting that we don't have one identity and also forgetting that people of color, black people, indigenous people, Middle Eastern people, Arabs, people, especially that are visibly like non-white, they don't have the privilege of leaving their race and ethnicity at home mm -hmm. and just moving outside with one of their identities. That is a privilege to think about it that way. Right. To think, let me pause my race and ethnicity identity for a month or two. Let me right. leave it on the side or let me leave on the side my gender identity, my yeah. sexual orientation ethnicity. Let me put aside my all my identities. Mm -hmm. Let me focus on this one this only this identity that is a privilege so that's the problem with this that's the idea of intersectionality yeah. because i personally can never just be a disabled person mm -hmm. i am always all of me every time i leave and talk to somebody every time they will ask me what are you right not who are you what are you because i speak with an accent mm -hmm. yeah every time every time go anywhere that i don't look like the people around me they're gonna question my outside look mm -hmm. because i'm never gonna belong right so i don't get to leave that identity at home and that's a privilege to think that you can just ignore that. Mm -hmm. 
that you can just be a disabled person or you can just be a woman. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to understand that aspect of it. And the same thing, it comes to one type of disability. Like I'm a person that has multiple disabilities. I have neurodiversity in addition to physical disabilities. Mm -hmm. And sometimes my physical disabilities are visible and sometimes they're not based on if I wear my supportive stuff (laughs) or I don't. Sometimes I walk around and it doesn't look like I have any disability. And sometimes I'm wrapped up and all of a sudden I look like I have all of these injuries, all Mm -hmm. of these illnesses. And... I have that multiple thing going on. Sometimes I'm inside a building with shades going on because my migraine makes me want to punch people. (laughs) (laughs) That's also different types of things going on, right? It's important to understand that people are not one type. Like There's multiple things going on with them at the same time. And you can't just assume that they get to leave one thing at home. Um, listen, we, we have to we have to call a show. This has been absolutely fantastic. I, I cannot get enough of deep, meaningful and intentful and poignant discussions with people about this subject, because I think it's something that we all need to talk about. And sometimes it's difficult to have conversations with family about it, or difficult to have conversations with your boss or your employees about it too, but they are meaningful and valuable and important impactful conversations to have and thank you so much for being on the show today go ahead and follow her you've got some you've got such great insights and great comments on everything that you do thank you so much for being on the show today thank you everyone wasn't that a great episode you probably have lots of new ideas swirling through your head right now now how are you going to go and teach that to your boss your team or your clients you need a strategy to move forward contact me today hi at cambodwine.com and let's talk about how we can move this forward in your organization or individual practice. If you could right now, like and subscribe to this show, it really does help grow our reach to get more people involved and interested in disability inclusion and making the world a more inclusive place. And don't forget, you can also watch this show live on LinkedIn. Just find me there. It's every Friday at noon Eastern. See you next week.